Hey, this is Dave Burgess, and you are listening to The Dave Burgess Show, where we talk education, lifestyle, entrepreneurship, fitness, wellness, principles of success, interview elite performers in their field, and most importantly, cover topics that will empower, inspire, and uplift you. Let's go. Hey, it's episode 49 of the Dave Burgess Show, the chord structure of powerful teaching. And I was just flew into Houston, Texas this past week and spoke at the Texas Science Education Leadership Association Conference, right? So it was a great honor to be able to speak to all of these science educational leaders in one big room. And it hit me and reminded me of something when I did that. I'm a U.S. history teacher, and yet I am here talking to science teachers. I've done this many times in my life where I've spoken to conferences that are completely outside of my subject matter. I have keynoted uh, world language conferences. I have keynoted elementary school conferences. I have keynoted uh, science, as we just mentioned. I've been at uh, English conferences. I've been all these different things, even though I'm a social studies teacher. And for some people, that doesn't make sense, but I think it makes complete sense to me. One of the things I always talk about in my program is chord structure. And I know that there are people that are sitting in my audience, even if it's like a K-12 multiple subject like audience, I know that there's going to be some people that are sitting in the audience thinking like, oh, well, these here, these are like U.S. history examples. I'm not going to be able to apply this to my room. And so one of the things I do is I answer that right up front and talk to them about that towards the very beginning of my presentation. This is something that I think is critical for speakers to know is that like, if let's say you are a salesperson, a good salesperson knows what the common objections are to their message, to what it is that they're trying to sell, right? And in their sales presentation, they will actually answer and try to knock down those common objections in their first presentation. So they know, okay, this person is going to say that it's too expensive. This person is going to say, I need to talk to my partner before I buy. This person is going to say, I don't see how this works for blah, blah, whatever it might be for whatever product or service you're selling. The good salesperson knows what those common objections are. And then they craft a sales presentation which knocks those out of the box and makes them makes the the prospect not able to use them, right? And so that's what I'm doing as a speaker is I know what some of the resistance to my message is going to be. And so I try to answer that in my presentation. So one of the things I say before I do the actual uh, examples from my classroom, that's a that's another super important thing for me is I like to show stuff straight out of my classroom, okay? so i'm I'm not, talking to them about stuff that I've never done before. I want to show them as if they are the students in the class. I want them to feel what it's like to be drawn in by these ideas. So I just do the actual part for my lesson that I want to talk to them about, right? But here's what I say. I say, I've got a little disclaimer. I just told you that I teach U.S. history and a bunch of you don't. That's okay. Because I like to look at like chord structure. Like let's say you want to learn how to play guitar so you get lessons. And someone shows you how to hold the guitar, how to strum, where to put your fingers to play different chords, and some basic ideas in chord structure. And then some people will take those lessons in that chord structure, and they'll go off eventually, they'll play rock and roll or jazz or classical or funk. Well, I happen to play a couple of U.S. history songs. But I'm really here to talk to you about the chord structure. It's the chord structure behind these things that you're going to take and use no matter what it is that you teach or what level that you teach it at, right? And so this is something I've added into my presentation in order to get them to kind of re- to relax their shoulders 
and then not shut down my examples just because they're outside of their subject area. Okay. And so that's, that's an important thing to know for, for speakers. And uh, another thing that I do, I, th- this is something that happens to me sometimes like at a, at a tech conference, like a, a tech conference may book me for a keynote. We tell them ahead of time, say like, listen, just so you know, Dave doesn't have a lot of technology in his, in his presentation. Dave doesn't talk a lot about technology in his presentation. And usually they'll say something like this. They'll say, yeah, no, we understand. We know Dave. We've, we've seen Dave. Dave is what we want. Talk, and and, the, and uh, you know they, they want the charisma. They also they want the energy, inspiration, but they also know that I'm talking about three main things. I'm talking about passion, creativity, and engagement. Those are the three evergreen messages behind the Teach Like a Pirate presentation. Passion, creativity, and engagement. And those things cut across all content areas that are studied in school, all grade levels, all roles in education, in fact, right? So if I'm doing a leadership conference, that's okay. Passion, creativity, engagement. They still work, right? And, and so, uh, but at, at these tech conferences, it, it used to be, this used to like just kill me. So sometimes I would show up at a tech conference and they would have like a, a laptop or a computer where they had a crew that was going to load up all of your slides. Like you weren't using your own computer. And so they would want my presentation on a flash drive, right? And so I would hand them my flash drive and they would load it up. And then pretty soon I'd see like one of the tech person, people calling me over and they say like, Hey, 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 like there's some sort of mistake here. Like there's only one slide in the presentation. Like your key, you have a 90 minute keynote. There's only one, the, what, I only have one slide. And at, at that point I used to, I used to keynote whole conferences with one slide. It would, it would just be the same slide. I, it would be the opening slide. It would be there until I finished at the very end. Right. And I would just, and the idea is like, Hey, it's not about the slide. It's about me and this presentation. Right. And they would, I said, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Just throw the slide up at the beginning. It's all going to work out. Trust me. Right. And so then I would do my 90 minute presentation with this one slide. Now I think I'm up to like four slides. You know, who knows? Maybe in, in another year, I, I might get up to double figure. I might add a couple more slides. I might get up to like 10 slides in my keynote presentation. We'll see. Um, but it would always just kill me because there would be the, these high, super techie people. And they would just not be able to understand that I was about to go stand up in front of a crowd for 90 minutes, two hours in some cases, and, and have just this one slide up there the whole time. And so, uh, yeah, tech conferences, leadership conferences, science conferences, English, elementary, whatever, um, the Teach Like a Pirate message is still going to be okay because it is fine in the chord structure. Now, here's another thing that's happened to me a couple of times. So, uh, and this... <laughs> I'm not going to use any names or any specifics in this. Uh, the, so the, the names and subjects will be changed to protect uh, these people. So maybe I'll finish a presentation and I'll be at the table signing books afterwards, right? And so someone will come up to me and they'll say, oh my gosh, that was, I really enjoyed your presentation. The energy was off the charts. Um, gosh, like yeah, the, the only like I mean, the only downside is um, you know, you're a U.S. history teacher and I'm a world history teacher. So, you know, now I like it. Uh, but man, I, I still enjoyed it. But like, you know, it's not necessarily going to be a, a, applicable to me because I, I teach world history. So then the very next person will come up to the table, get their book signed and say, hey, really enjoyed your presentation. I, I'm a kindergarten teacher. And just while I was sitting in the in the performance, I got like, seven ideas I'm going to use this week. Like that was awesome. Right. And so 
the world history teacher, I'm not picking on world history teachers. I'm just using that as an example because it's close to my subject, right? Well, the world history teacher is like, oh man, wish I could apply that, but that's US history. They couldn't see the connection. <laughs> the kindergarten teacher would be like, I could use this stuff all day, right? And so that's why it's super important to kind of spell out these, the, the draw these connections for people. People will not draw the connections themselves sometimes, right? You sometimes have to draw those connections for them. And uh, and so when I, when I talk about core structure, here's what I mean. Like maybe, like sometimes I talk about this thing called preheating the grill. And this is the way that I say, I say, listen, I don't put my steak down on a cold grill. I preheat my grill. When you drop your steak on a cold grill, nothing happens. When you drop your steak on a preheated grill, what happens? It sizzles. I want my content to sizzle when I drop it. So I always preheat the grill, building up mystery, curiosity, buzz, and anticipation before I begin, right? And then I'll give some examples out of my class of how I build up mystery, curiosity, buzz, and anticipation before I begin. I say like, hey, what are you saying today before they leave that makes them excited to come back tomorrow? What do you have written on your board or shining on your screen that makes because that curiosity and buzz about what we're going to do next, right? That built that strikes that 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 note of curiosity and anticipation, gets them on the edge of their seats, right? And so we talk about all these different ways you can build mystery, curiosity, buzz, and anticipation. Now, I'm giving my social studies, possibly US history example. But that chord structure of building up mystery, curiosity, buzz, and anticipation can be used at every single grade level. It can be used with adults in professional development, right? I use it with adults in professional development too. So that's the that's what I mean by chord structure, the principles behind it. Another example would be, uh, I have a hook called Swimming with the Sharks. And I give an example, dragging a rope through the room, going out into the audience, like in between the, the rows of the audience, out into the audience and, and, and doing this demonstration. And in my classroom, that's done right through the student desks. And the rope is over the top of the students through the classroom as I'm doing this presentation, right? And the reason it's called Swimming with the Sharks, I tell them, is because, hey, the most content is delivered from the front of the room, like maybe a podium or something like that, and received out in the rest of the room. And what you, what this hook is about is breaking down that artificial barrier between student space and teacher space. And so when you actually enter the audience, um, it's this is this is naturally engaging because of the novelty factor. And then I say, you know, any of these things done one time would lose their novelty factor. But these are ideas you throw into this presentational toolbox that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so this is called breaking down the fourth wall. Like in theater, I think they refer to it as breaking down the fourth wall. Like when an when a actor or actress like enters the audience that breaks down that fourth wall. It's like, oh wait, they're like, they were all up on stage and they're up there on the stage and we're watching this thing and we're out here in the audience. And now, well, oh, they stepped off the stage and they're walking into the audience. It breaks down that fourth wall and it's engaging because of that novelty factor. So that is the chord structure behind what I'm showing with a US history example. But then you take that core structure and you use it in whatever way that you can for your content area and for your grade level that you teach. Another way I look at this sometimes is uh, as a basketball coach. Now, I might be doing a whole episode at some point on coaching basketball and motion offense in particular, right? Because it's something that I'm passionate about in basketball. But basically, here's what I mean by this. Some people teach a very specific offensive system 
where you pass here, then you cut here, and then this person sets a screen over here and knows all this kind of stuff. Other people are teaching basketball principles, right? They teach principles of movement and spacing. And that's what I believe in. Motion offense, what you're doing is you're showing the players how to space themselves on the floor, how to cut, how to move, how to interact with each other, how to set screens and then react to what the defense, not, there's no set place you're cutting. You're looking at what the defense is doing, how the defense navigates their way through that screen. And then your cut is dependent upon what the defense does, right? And then how you make your cut determines how someone else may fill the space behind you or flash into the high post or whatever it might be, right? And so it's principles of movement that you're teaching. You're not teaching place. And so that's an important distinction in basketball coaching. And that is, are you teaching basketball plays or are you teaching players how to play basketball? I want to teach my athletes how to play basketball, not basketball plays. And so if the play breaks down, they still know how to space and cut and move and, and uh be able and be able to negotiate a powerful offense, right? And so basketball plays, I think, are, are overrated. You know, maybe you have some out-of-bounds plays and things like that. Um, and maybe a couple set entries or set plays and things like that. But in general, I would much more, I would much prefer to teach kids the chord structure behind basketball movement and spacing and cutting and screening. And that's what a full, that, that's what a like a pure motion offense is all about. You're not gonna go down and, and, and stand in the same place on the other end of the court all the time. You're not gonna always make the, the cut to the same place. You're not always gonna do this. No, you're going to adjust on the fly to all of these different things that are going on around you. And it's stressful for some coaches because they lose some of that control. If you're teaching basketball plays, you can control what your players are doing there. But if you're teaching basketball principles instead and allowing them to make their own decisions, then that is you're releasing that control, but it's also such a more, it's so much more powerful way to coach basketball. And it's such, such a more powerful way to teach too. We have to give up some of our control and, and, and uh, give it to the students and allow them to make some mistakes and to own their learning and all of that. So that's another way that I think about looking at chord structure. And so I'm always, and I'm trying to do this myself. I love to see a good speaker. I don't care what the subject is. If someone is powerful in front of an audience, I want to watch them. And I want to try to learn the chord structure behind what they're doing and see if there's any of that that I can apply to what I do, right? So I love to see uh, a great athlete. I love to see a great entrepreneur. I love to see a great teacher, a great uh, magician, whatever it might be, whatever my interests are, I'm looking, I want to see someone who's powerful at what they do. No matter the field. That's why the first episode of this podcast was called Read Wide, Live Wide. Always look at the fields around you. Not your own, not just your own field. Don't just be focused on your field. Look at everything around you. Find people that are powerful and amazing in what they do. And then try to determine what those key distinctions are that make them great. Try to figure out what the chord structure is behind what they do. And then find ways to implement implement that into what you do. And so, uh, as our Buckminster Fuller said, don't fight forces, use them. Look around the world, see what's powerful, see what's working, and don't be upset about it. Don't be upset that it's not from your field. Look for ways that you can use it. Oh, and by the way, 
I just hit me. This is also kind of a shameless plug. No matter what the subject area of your conference is, no matter what your grade level it is at your school, your system, your, your event, Teach Like a Pirate would be a great keynote. All right, everybody. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to The Dave Burgess Show. Let's connect. I am at Burgess Dave on Twitter. My name just flipped around to Burgess Dave. On Instagram, I am DBC underscore INC, and I blog at DaveBurgess.com. Please share your thoughts and comments on social media using the hashtag DaveBurgessShow. It would mean the world to me if you share the show with friends and colleagues, and I would be honored if you left a positive review on whatever platform you listen on. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you have a question, a topic, or a guest recommendation for the show, just email me at dave at daveburgess.com, put podcast question in the subject line, and I absolutely cannot wait to join you on the next episode.